situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. So it looks like the athletics are finally moving out of Oakland. And it's meant as no disrespect to the fans and the people that have supported the great city for a while. The owner failed you. The surrounding areas of Oakland failed you. There's no disrespect meant against the fans, but from a business standpoint, Sports need to be held in places that have some sort of financial security. Oakland doesn't right now. They're owned by a person that, at least playing baseball in Oakland, doesn't care about financing that team. And Oakland, as the region, doesn't care about financing that team. They're better off moving. Las Vegas is going to take the team in, just like they took the Raiders in. Just like they took the Golden Knights, you know, the new team in the NHL, and they're turning that into a sports city. The one point I want to make about this, at least to my knowledge, and I've only found one other occurrence of this, a sports franchise playing in now its fourth city. So whenever the Oakland Athletics move to Las Vegas, as the Athletics... Their franchise would have played in Philadelphia, Kansas City, Oakland, and Las Vegas. And the only other sports team that I've seen that had four different locations is the now Atlanta Hawks, who started out in the first two years, 47 and 48, as the Tri-City Hawks. And for those of you scoring at home, the Tri-City meant Moline, Illinois, Rock Island, Illinois, and Davenport, Iowa. So no relation to any of the other cities that they ended up playing in. They moved to Milwaukee. They moved to St. Louis. And now they play their games in Atlanta. So the athletics would be the second, at least from what I've looked up. If you're following a program, you're listening, you're watching, and you know of another professional sports team that has played in four distinct different cities let me know, and I'll shout you out on the next broadcast. You know, the NFL, you have the Cleveland, St. Louis, and Los Angeles Rams. The NHL, I got the Kansas City Scouts who moved to Colorado and are now the New Jersey Devils. Other baseball teams, examples, the Milwaukee Brewers, St. Louis Browns, and now Baltimore Orioles. And, of course, the Boston, Milwaukee, and Atlanta Braves. Number two. To finally put maybe a little crescendo, a little finishing touch conclusion to get some closure on the whole Max Scherzer thing, I believe this is an inside job. Not by the Mets, but by Scherzer's former employer, the Los Angeles Dodgers. He spent, whatever, a couple, couple months of the 2021 season with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Perhaps there was some evidence showing that he used some sort of sticky substance on his glove or to enhance his pitching. And the Dodgers, conveniently, after three scoreless innings, giving up just one hit in a game against the New York Mets in 2022, decide to let the umpire know. Hey, 
we got evidence he's been using shit before. And you know what? If there's somebody that would know, it's one of his former employers, the Dodgers. I think it's an inside job. I think the Dodgers are the one that alerted Phil Cuzzy. Phil Cuzzy with the reputation, the only umpire to throw out pitchers in games for the use of this sticky stuff since baseball implemented its new policy and automatic 10-day suspension or 10-game suspension. It was convenient for the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers are responsible for getting this put into place. And I spoke about this on my last show. I mentioned the fact that, listen, you could check pitchers all you want, and it's a matter of how deep you want to check into whatever is moist and wet on their glove. If it, if you could say rosin and water or rosin and sweat, baseball even changed the rules to say that you could be thrown out for the use of rosin. So this could be something that could happen to any pitcher at any time, but I believe the Dodgers are behind what happened to Scherzer, and I believe more than ever that Scherzer is guilty of using some for it, uh, some sort of sticky, sticky substance. That being said, I, I don't care. I don't look at him any differently. I don't look at him as a cheater, but I'm pretty sure he did use something to try to stick to the ball, perhaps make it move, perhaps have a better grip, whatever he wants to say. Number three... A weird ending to what could have been baseball history. Uh, I've contested before that I don't think there'll ever be another complete game, perfect game in the history of Major League Baseball. The 23 that we've seen in our in the great sports history are the last 23 that you're ever going to see. Now, Drew Smiley took a perfect game into the eighth inning, and it was broken up in kind of weird fashion a mistakable fashion. He's going to field the ground ball. The catcher's trying to get in the way. They collide. And see, I want to make light of it. I, I, I like you know the thought of having a WWE plot when it comes to regular sports. Perhaps Smiley thinks he could have made that play, could have completed a perfect game, could have been the 24th pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball to throw a perfect game, and he feels that Jan Gomes got in the way and destroyed it. And maybe you could have a segment where he talks about, man, I would have had it if Jan Gomes just stayed the hell out of the way. And then Jan Gomes drops the bombshell. He says, you know what? I I, I didn't want to admit this before, but I appreciate the sacred history of Major League Baseball and its perfect games, and I didn't want Drew Smiley to have a perfect game. I ran into him on purpose. And the next thing you know, the two teammates are pinned against each other with a match set for WrestleMania. Whatever. I digress. So the last point that I wanted to make today before we jump into today's Saving Sports History segment, Jonathan Gannon, the now former... Eagles defensive coach, took the job as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, had a little parting shots for the Philadelphia Eagles fans, said along the lines of uh, the Eagles were 9-0 and zero and the fans wanted him fired. They say he didn't rush the passer enough, he didn't have, you know, they didn't have a good pass rush, they led the league in sacks, you know, he says that there was no way to ever please them. I'm 100% behind Jonathan Gannon. I hope he succeeds in Arizona with the Cardinals. And I think that was a great take. A take that I, I really feel a lot more coaches and players should speak up about when it comes to fans and their treatment of them. There's two sides of this argument. There's the media and the fans who are on one end of the spectrum. 
and the players and the coaches that are on the other side. I'm on the side of the players and the coaches. They're the ones getting paid. They're the ones that are held 100% accountable every single time they go out there and play or coach. They're the ones in the line of fire for every single move or action that they do or make. And they're the ones, like I said, that end up losing their job if they don't perform well. They're obligated to perform well. I'm tired, and I've been tired for the past 10 years of hearing some unemployed whatever feel like his opinion is so valuable because, God forbid, one day he puts a couple dollars together and shows up at a friggin' ballpark. He's not, He has no financial interest whatsoever in what goes on with the players and the coaches. Yet, he could criticize. This is not an anti-Philly shot. This is an anti-fan shot. And I think fans should look in the mirror, look at their own profession and what it is that they do, and should, should look at what is going on. I would have loved to see Jacob deGrom or Chris Bassett kind of say what I know they're thinking when it comes to the treatment by people that are supposed to be your biggest supporters. Hey, if, if you have a, an opposing player that comes in to play any given sport and you want to boo the hell out of them, you want to treat them like crap, you want to heckle them, that's what fandom is supposed to be about. Respect your own players. Support your own players. In the end, isn't that the team you're freaking rooting for? So I I, don't, I love what John, Jonathan Gannon said. And I hope more coaches and I hope more players speak up against this bullshit. As we move into today's saving sports history segment, today is the anniversary of the first ever National League game, and today being the fourth, the 22nd day of April 2023. So the first NL game was played between the Boston Red Caps and the before-mentioned Athletics franchise, this time in Philadelphia and in the National League. In fact, it was a distinct different team, but National League Baseball, Boston 6, Philadelphia 5. Tim McGinley scores the official first run of the National League. Now, I'm going to digress a little bit, and I'm going to disagree with the assumption that the first game in 1876 was the first game in the history of Major League Baseball. I believe that happened in 1871. I acknowledge the National Association for the five years that they played. That is the first example of professional baseball or Major League Baseball. Now, of course, not everybody agrees with that. But 1871-1875, National Association, I look at that as Major League Baseball and there's other people that agree with me. 1903, big day in the history of what is now the New York Yankees franchise. Their first ever professional game, the New York Highlanders beat, lost to the Washington Senators in American League Park, 3-1. to one. That was the first game of the now, of course, illustrious and successful New York Yankees franchise. 1914, Babe Ruth made his Major League debut as a pitcher, six-hit complete game shutout in a 6-0 victory. On this day in 1915, the Yankees' pinstripes are used for the first time. They also introduced that hat and a ring logo, which you've seen over the course of several seasons. It, it hasn't really stood out. It's really the pinstripes and the NY, which is really the New York Yankees logo. But 
some sort of branding is really put together for the first time in the history of the franchise. Remember that the Yankees had just switched their name from the Highlanders to the Yankees within the last year or so. 1947, the first ever Basketball Association of America Finals, which is now known as the National Basketball Association. The Philadelphia Warriors beat the Chicago Stag four games to two. 1954, the NBA introduces what is now known as the 24-second clock and six fouls for disqualification. In 1955, the Kansas City Athletics, the formerly the Philadelphia Athletics, the American League version, the second stop of what's going to be four stops in four different cities, they played their first game in 1955. 1957, the Philadelphia Phillies uh, finally decided to keep up with the times. They became the last National League team to integrate when John Irwin Kennedy became the first black player to play for the Phillies. Phillies known you know, 1947 for heckling Jackie Robinson, Ben Chapman, the whole thing seemed to have some racial undertones to him. Um, Kurt Flood didn't want to get traded there. So there seemed to be some tension that existed in the city of Philadelphia as they were very, very slow to integrate, finally did what they were supposed to do and hired a black player. 1962 Stanley Cup Finals, the Toronto Maple Leafs beat the Chicago Blackhawks four games to two. And in 1990, in the NFL draft, in a series of NFL drafts that happened on this day, in uh, uh, on uh, this day, April 22nd, the Indianapolis Indianapolis Colts took Jeff George with the first overall pick. Um, later on, 1995, Kajana Carter was taken number one overall by the Cincinnati Bengals, and in 2010, Sam Bradford was taken number one overall by the Rams. On this day in 1993, Chris Bazio threw a no-hitter for the Seattle Mariners. And in 1994, Michael Moore defeated Evander Holyfield to become the heavyweight champion. Later on, George Foreman would beat Michael Moore in a surprising knockout. And on this day, a year later, George Foreman would beat Axel Schultz in a 12-round disputed decision. Now, I remember watching that fight, and I remember how it seemed like Axel Schultz probably won the fight. It ended up being scored in Foreman's favor, and then a couple fights later, they finally got their revenge, and a fight that it seemed like Foreman won against Shannon Briggs was scored the opposite to kind of even things out. And i got to be honest, I was a huge boxing fan. This is around the time where I started to kind of fade away. This is around the time where I started to lose interest. And I've never regained that interest in being a boxing fan because of the perceived corruption that I've seen in the sport. A couple more things, births and deaths on this day. Mickey Vernon, a longtime MLB first baseman outfielder and manager, was born on this day in 1918. Takashi Koba, who was a Japanese infielder and manager in the J Japan Leagues, um, Japan Series champion in 1979, 80, 84, was born on this day in 1936. Former Super Bowl winning quarterback Jeff Hostetler was born on this day in 1961. So was former Blue Jays, Yankees, and Orioles pitcher Jimmy Key. Um, Marshawn Lynch was born on this day in 1986. Deaths on this day. Yankees infielder Mark Koenig passed away on this day in 1993. Tragically, 
Um, NFL defensive back Pat Tillman was killed in a line of duty on his day in 2004. And longtime NHL star and Hall of Famer Guy LaFleur passed out passed away on this day in 2022. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by two ways. One passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you're interested in hearing me yap, flap my yap mouth, you can check me out on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music. We'll be back with you soon. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the friggin' World Series? I was gonna listen to that, but then I just carried on in my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either gonna hit a home run or I'm gonna strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park, I was supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. side of the spectrum they're on. Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.